episode three of the Board Game Gambit podcast. Joining you today, as always, is me, Nathan. And I'm Jackie. Welcome. And today we are going to talk about multipurpose cards. So, how have you been doing? Good. I think that the memes about the coronavirus and how people are staying indoors and how it's not affecting gamers is true to some extent, but I feel like people who are solo are limited on what they can play. But I do appreciate the memes because I think it's funny that normal people are like, oh, I can't go anywhere. And I'm like, ha ha ha, Scott, you can't go anywhere. (laughs) You must stay here and play all the games. I have been playing a lot of games, especially what shocks me is how in a weeknight we are now able to to play games rather than having to wait for the weekend or for the special day because now you're you're inside and there is not so much that you can do otherwise. So what have you played this week? So this week I have been playing beside a lot of Nemesis, which in two players takes an hour. So we have been playing a lot of that. We have delved into the Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle Cup, which is a very, very tough cup with the expansion. It was way too simple when playing the base game, but now it has almost the opposite effect. We one night played Star Wars Rebellion. Have you seen it? Isn't it really, really big? It is really big, both physically and time-wise. It clocked at four hours for us. Oh my god. Yes, and it's intense. I have a very hard time separating it from the theme. I am convinced that it is a very, very good game beside the theme. Uh, That's not true of all games that I like the theme of. For example, the Thanos Rising game was okay. But at the same time, when people say, oh, people would like it anyhow, I don't know if it's true if someone doesn't like the theme of Star Wars, if they would like the game. Because one of the things that the game does excellently, going back to our notion of theme last week, is that it builds the story and the characters act in a certain way and tend to do certain things without being forced to. So it's a theme that is ingrained in the mechanics, but at the same time, it's very much about telling the story. It is basically a cat and mouse feeling where the evil guys, the empire, have all of the might and the resources, but time is running out to quench the rebellion, the good guys. And so it's completely asymmetric, both in resources, but also in how it plays. The game is driven by a deck of missions, which are very mechanical, but they are very different for the two players. Like one side tends to have more actions and and more resources, but the other one knows information that uh, the more acting side does not. And it was tense, it was long, game down to the wire. It was very good. This is only a two-player game, right? Yes, I mean, it's one of those that you can technically play with four, but that doesn't really need four. If you play with four, you are simply splitting the options, basically. Yeah, I don't know that I could get behind a four-hour game. I struggle to handle, like, three hours. Three hours is where, like, my cutoff is usually. I'm like... Okay, I'm really interested in this. Okay, now (laughs) we've been doing this for a very long time. Does it get repetitive or does it have a good story arc? Oh, the story arc is very, very good because in the beginning, both are ramping out production of units. In the beginning, there is almost a possibility of tying the production, being on the same level. And while the game progresses, the Empire has more and more stuff. So mid-game is very different from early game. And at the end the disparity is so big that it doesn't matter anymore because at that point it's only a matter of time until you find their base which is this secret movement thing that you're trying to find out while they are trying to score points and bring the game home it is also broken down by combat which some people don't like i actually don't mind because again it makes the four hours feel like it's not four hours because okay you play i don't know half an hour then you have five, ten minutes of combat, then you play another half an hour, then you have five minutes of combat there. So while the combat is not the most time during the game, it does split it up and each turn is very sequential. You have the planning phase where you choose which cards you're going to use, then you reveal them and carry out all of your movement. Then you have a scoring objective, which is simply a checkpoint, but it's an important checkpoint. Then you get new objective, new information, new cards, and then you build your production and recruit a new hero. So in each round, there are a lot of things that happen. 
and then you start with a new round. You don't play that many rounds. I would say like five or six. It's just that they are very long. It didn't feel like four hours or did it feel like four hours? Oh, no, it definitely doesn't feel like four hours. As you know me, for games that have the same mechanic over and over i'm also in the two hours even for games that i like like i wouldn't want to play sulkin for three and a half hours when it happens it's usually a player problem and it's very very painful for me but yeah i think that even star wars rebellion could go under three hours it also depends on how you take it right i am fine with making mistakes to keep the game moving some people want to really be on top of things it's a different approach what have you played i have played monster factory i think i made you play that once Oh, it's the card game, right? No, it's with tiles. Oh, where you connect the pieces of the monster. Yeah. And they're purple or green, and you expand the monsters. And once you finish completing your monster, you can make little minions, and you score points based on how big the original monster is. And then you score points for each tile that has eyes on your little minions. That is how you score points in that game and ultimately win. But the thing that I like about it is it is so mean while you're picking out these different tiles you have two options you can always put it on your monster or you can put it on someone else's monster you're trying to close off all the different openings that you have on your monster so that it's completed so that way you can work on a minion but there are tiles that you put them down and they expand how many openings you have so maybe you have one opening coming out of this section and so you put down a tile now suddenly there's three new additional openings that you have to deal with it's a lot of fun it's very mean scott likes it because it's cute the cartoon little monsters are adorable i do really like that game because of the meanness and interesting enough it's by the designer of one of your newfound passions dominion oh wow i didn't know that one of the two it's nina pali who's also the artist and donald x vaccarino i like it because with two it just gets so mean (laughs) because you have to focus on one person with more people it plays a little different because you have more people to watch so it's not just a back and forth kind of make your monster impossible to complete it's more of oh well i need to focus on this person and oh but this person's getting close to finishing their monster so uh, that's a lot of fun yeah we have also been playing another game like bora bora last week that i know you want to play but we're open to playing it again coimbra I love Coimbra. It is really solid. It's interesting to see playing it shortly after Bora Bora, how the same idea dice use for euros and using them on specific actions and getting into certain spaces can be so different. It's way more in your face because you are drafting the dice and you're blocking people from placing the dice. I like it a lot. I am not particularly good at it. I tend to struggle to get a reliable income and therefore having to waste action getting money or guards. But in general, it's for those who don't know it, Coimbra is by one of my favorite design teams. And it's basically you draft dice at the beginning of the round. They are all rolled and you care both for the color and the number. So sometimes you want the purple die just because it's purple, but you cannot get it because someone else gets it because it's a five or something like that. And it's by Framinia, Brasini and Virginio Gigli, which are part of that big Italian collective of designers which match up differently with Luciani, Tascini, Gigli. They pair up differently for different games. I don't know the name of the collective. They are often published through Queen Games, but they have been through a lot of different publishers. Akitoka, I think it's the name of the collective. And it's extremely interesting to me. Everything they do is on top for me. And Coimbra was as well very interesting. I went with one strategy. There is a, a moving around strategy, visiting monasteries. Anna went more for getting all of the cards and that proved winning most and it was great yeah i really like that game i think that it has all of the different euro components that i like traveling to different places collecting cards that give you certain effects and trying to combo those and see how to make a a good engine Yes, I am not in love with the weird style of graphic design and cards, which I don't know exactly what is determined by. I I don't love it. It looks at all times just like it's there to support the mechanism. And 
I am not in love with that. Okay. I like the art. <laughs> you do? I do. I think it's different than a lot of other games, I feel like. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. It's very colorful and vibrant, and I like that the dice are all different colors that aren't really used on the board in the same way that I kind of like Black Angel for that aesthetic, that the board has a very clear look to it, and then the dice, which are one of the main focus of the game, are a completely different color set. And they just kind of pop against the rest of the board. Yes. And I see that the artist has been working a lot in in board games, obviously, like most of them do, is Chris Williams. And he's also scheduled to be on the Akitoka's new design. There are two coming out. One is Gollum, the other is Alma Mater. And Alma Mater is is art. I think my problem is not with the art, but with the graphic design. I don't think it's the same person, but... There is the same thing of this very, very squared approach, which is somehow present also in Newton, which is still by the same group. But there it doesn't bother me. I think they they blended it with the art a little bit better. What else have you played? I have played Above and Below. Oh, yeah, I saw the pictures. And that is by Ryan Lockett, published by Red Raven Games. And it is a game where you are going on little mini choose-your-own-adventure type explorations underground while building your little city by building different buildings above ground and then going to explore, doing the choose-your-own-adventure bit, and then you can build on top of those encounters with underground different buildings to try and get points or try and get goods or try and have more ways to rest your workers. It's a action selection, but you are doing it with your own workers, and your workers are these little tiles that you can get more of through different actions and i remember being more enamored with it when i first started playing the game mm-hmm. and now the game the actual like game component of it feels like it goes by so quickly the main focus is to be exploring and scott and i didn't do it very often on our last playthrough i think between the two of us we went maybe five times exploring and so the game went by so fast and we were like oh i guess we're done (laughs) i was like i didn't really build anything i didn't really like build an engine yeah it is different and also it relies on the story a lot i did like it i read around the 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 webs that near and far does a better job at delivering the story but i actually think I am fine with the amount of story that is in Above and Below. If it went even more on the story and exploration side, at that point I would probably find the Euro mechanism more boring than anything else. Of course, I would have to try near and far to make an honest comparison. But I feel like there is already a lot between the reading and the choices that you don't always know what they do. It's fine by me. I I really like the game, but I feel it if it went even heavier into the story side and to the see what happens side. At that point, all of the beds to rest your workers and get the card and buy the things on top, only if you have bought things underneath or vice versa, whatever it is, would become more of an annoyance than anything else. So I think for me, it strikes the right balance between story and resource management. Well, I do own Near and Far, so should I ever learn to play it, <laughs> we can play it. Oh, speaking of, I am excited for things that are in the mail right now. I ordered Terramara, which is again by the same group. It came out last year, but for the longest time it was at $100 or so, which I was not going to buy it for. Finally, it came into distribution, so with a more reasonable price point have you seen it no i only looked it up when you told me that you were going to get it and the thing that steered me away from it right away (laughs) was the playtime. it says 120 minutes that's two hours you said it was fine yeah but how often do you feel that playtimes on boxes are correct that's true. That's true. It could get longer, especially on the first game. But that was true also of when we played Teotihuacan the first time, Newton the first time. I also feel that I'm moving away from playing Euros with four players, unless they are very interactive, like Rialto. I like playing with four players. Still have never played that. Oh, we will need to to amend that. But 
for example, when we played Newton, you and I with two, I mean, I think that's the way to play it. It it was so tight, it was so interesting. Maybe three because it gives you some interaction, but I mm-hmm. would never ever play Newton. I think it goes to five, and I would never ever do that. That sounds miserable. <laughs> Terra Mara, while it's not obviously a very thematic game, but it has the added bonus that is technically set in the prehistoric version of the region I grew up in. Um, oh. And that's that's cool. Um, I had no idea. I'm, I, I read it when it came out and then I forgot. It is, yeah, uh, Terra Mara is the name of the villages founded around 1500 BC in northern Italy. Yeah, that's around between the Alps and the Po. So it's where where I grew up. So I will recognize the thing and have a, an unfair advantage, I guess, because it's so thematic. It looks very busy. Yes, but also like looking I, at the board. I I don't know much. I saw it at the convention, um, but I didn't play it. But I remember having things like you can take an action, and but then you have to wait for the turn to catch up or something like that. So there is some timing component which i really really like i love it in uh, in saltkin games that make time a component of of the game i tend to like them a lot so i'm excited to play that i mean i will play that but it just it looks very daunting and the art is by michael menzel which is one of my favorite artists now vincent dutre is all the rage and i do like his stuff a lot like the new medici is very nice but i think michael menzel is very it's sad for me. He has done some Dominion, which is okay, a waste because it gets blended with all of the other authors. But he's on Bruges, he's in Stone Age, and I don't particularly like Stone Age, but the art is great. And a bunch of games, when you think of very nice board games, they are usually his. Well, now there is Yeno Tool as well, but he does much more innovative stuff. While Michael Manzella is the classic. You look at it, oh, this looks like a nice hero. It's usually him. His Pillars of the Earth, Word Without Ten, all of that stuff. Not something in the mail, but something I also played was Dulasaur Island. It's the two-player version of, of the... Dinosaur Island. Dinosaur yeah. Island, yeah. No, I haven't. I haven't even seen it. So I backed it on Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I have all the fancy bits. I have the fancy coins and bonus promo cards. So those are cool to have. But the game I really like, too. It's a card and dice drafting game. So you... Lay out seven choices, five dice, and two cards, and you draft back and forth until there's one thing left. And the cards that you draft are like specialists that give you powers to try and give you little bonuses or different avenues to focus on but basically you're collecting dna trying to make different dinosaurs. I really like Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park was Probably one of my favorite movies growing up. So to get to like play with the different dinosaurs is fun and see what can I build. And oh, I don't want to increase my threat level by building this, you know, large carnivore because I can't keep the security. And unfortunately, (laughs) that is how I lost the game. I overbuilt. So when you overbuild, compare at the end of the round your threat level to the amount of security that you have. Mm hmm. And you lose points, double the difference. So if you're one point away, it's two points because I was greedy. And then Scott won by, I think, a point. That's great. Yeah, it was awesome. (laughs) So I am looking at it. As I said, I hadn't seen it before. So the first question is, when you draft the cards, the cards become abilities in your park? Yes. You have room for three of them. So there's two sets of cards. So the the cards that you're drafting are specialists. The other cards that you get each round are multi-use cards, bringing back to the theme. Oh, yeah. I, I see them. They can be buildings or dinosaurs? Yes. Or you can discard them to mix DNA, mix your basic to advanced DNA or advanced to too basic that's the ratio so when you draft could a player draft both the cards and the other have more dice yes so you draft one at a time so like i'll take one die or you take a card and then 
I take a die. And then you could go, it could go back to you and you could take a card. So you have those seven options each round. For some reason, the garish colors annoy me much less in this one. I mean, it's still not visually what I would like to see, but it's much, much better for me than Dinosaur Island looks in its ensemble. How long does it take to play? I think we played it in about 45 minutes. Oh, that's good. So it wasn't too long. It was cool to try different strategies, even within the one game that we played. In the beginning, I was very focused on trying to get some buildings out to increase my income each round and how many cards I would draw. And Scott was more focused on dinosaurs. And then I ended up focusing on dinosaurs and he switched over to buildings. So it was very fun. I liked the game a lot. Interestingly enough, Jan Moss, the designer, is not the designer of Dinosaur Island. He's the designer of an expansion for Dinosaur Island. And he's the designer of Wonderland's War, which we both recently kickstarted. Yes. So it's interesting. He got involved with the expansion, it seems with the designer from the main game, and then got on to design the two-player version, which is, I guess, not usually what happens, but it is becoming more common to have people who come in as developers then keep designing in the same space. I think it's the same with David Tucci. For the longest time, it was also, I don't know exactly the timeline, but it was designing solo modes but also became a big designer in his own way i have a few games that he has created the solo version of yeah but now he's also on his own designing game right Mm -hmm. okay let me see if i played something else of interest oh i played seven wonders duel which is a two-player version of a more popular game have you played the duel version Yes, I own it. I actually really, really like it. When it came out, people said that was better than Seven Wonders. I really like Seven Wonders and Seven Wonders has some unicity in how well it plays with a lot of players without getting too long that I think still make it more peculiar. But Seven Wonders Duel is very, very good. At PAX, we got the expansion, which has an option to change the pace of the game. Uh, Seven Wonders is a drafting game, so normally... It's a drafting from a display because it's a two-player game, not decks going back and forth. But so normally you go and then I go and then you go and then I go taking cards from this tableau. And there are certain ways of using it, basically building a wonders where you ignore the text of the card, look at this wonder, and some of these give you an extra action, which is very important in the timing. Now with the expansion, there are actions that are By default, you do that rather than drafting a card, but they are expensive. So when to do that is very, very interesting because sometimes you want to do them because of the action. Sometimes you want to do them just not to draft a card because every time you draft a card, you open up other options for the other player. It seems to have made both the alternative conditions more likely so that we tend to get very close, if not even trigger the military winning condition and the science condition, which are two sudden death conditions in the game. While in the base game, I felt like those were very rare and we used to get to the point scoring a great majority of the time. So that's also very, very interesting. Scott, as you know, does not particularly care for card drafting games. Mm -hmm. And he asked me yesterday, he was like, oh, well, you know, how about... Seven Wonders Duel, as we were trying to pick a game to play for my Game a Day challenge, he asked about Seven Wonders Duel, and I was like, ooh, (laughs) it's drafting. I mean, it's a little bit different drafting, so maybe he would like it. So he didn't like uh, Duelosaur Island? He didn't mind it because all the options are visible. Well, then with uh, Seven Wonders Duel, it will be probably worth a shot because it's true that not all of the options are visible because they flip. But at the same time, you know what your options are at a specific moment. There is not a, oh, I don't know what will be in that deck. You decide when to flip things. Yeah, maybe I'll try it. He likes those kinds of games, I think, a little bit even though he says that he doesn't, the card the card drafting games, because he likes Blood Rage. Well, fair, but in Blood Rage, it's a very linear that you do the drafting in order to do other things, so you can visualize a little bit more. I do understand what people say. I mean, I adore card drafting games. I, even when they are just okay, I still enjoy them quite a bit. Like there is an old card drafting game called Shadow Throne, 
the art is not great, the gameplay is nothing stellar, but the very fact of drafting, I find it relaxing compared to other things. Even when it's busy and thinking, you only have those many options. And then, yes, you can count on hoping that something comes back, but it much depends on other people. The way to interact with other people is very direct is, oh, they need this card. Can I afford to take this card that I don't want, even if it's not the greatest for me just to stop them? It's a clear option. So I do like drafting games, but I do understand that when that's all there is, it can cause anxiety. Someone is, oh, now if I don't stop this card, will Frank stop it before it gets to Bob? So I do understand the lack of trust towards drafting games, but I do like them basically all that I play, some enough to keep them, some not, but in general drafting. But I especially like the, the classic drafting, see your little deck of cards, pick one, pass to the next player, which is still in fashion, but some people are exploring other ways of drafting, but I really, really do like that that mechanism. So what is the expansion called for Seven Wonders? It's Duel? Pantheon. I think another one called Agora is coming out. A Pantheon adds gods. So during the first age of the three ages of the game, when the cards are generally cheap, on certain cards there are tokens that when you flip the card, you reveal the token. And this token corresponds from gods from different flavor, like they are the war-oriented ones and the money-oriented ones and things like that. And so okay. you, you draw two and you pick one of them from the corresponding mini deck. There are decks of three cards each. And you place one on this track basically that goes from you to the other player and it basically determines how expensive the card will be for each of you it starts from three eight i think and then it goes for seven five six six five so the three eight is very cheap for me it only costs three but eight coins to you then the next spot the next spot the interesting thing is that you're filling this spot face down without knowing what the other cards would be so there is no card that is bad. So there is never a card that you go, oh, this is a negative card, so I will give it to you. Is is this good enough that I want it close to me or do I prefer it close to you in order to leave other spaces for things that you might be forced to place close to me and so cheap for me? And then during the second phase, the second age of the game, you reveal all of the cards and now you have this option. So it's good. That's interesting. Yeah, and they provide cool but not game-breaking abilities like they give you money or they give you points or they help you military-wise. They help you stop the other player from winning on military. They help you with science. It's good. And again, the timing, the being able to, oh no, if I flip that card, they are going to win. Okay, let's do this other thing um, and stop. So it's up to them to reveal that card. I can snatch it from them. So theme of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> The theme of the episode is multi-purpose cards. And by that, when I suggested we talk about that, I mean not simply cards that provide you different options. Those are very common in a lot of very good games. Like you can choose between two different resources or you can advance this on this track and gain a gold or something like that. But I am specifically thinking of games in which the cards themselves, by the fact of being cards in that specific game, have different destinations. For example, cards that have a text, but that you can discard to get something else. Like it is, for example, in Seven Wonders, that's a minor thing, but any card can be discarded for gold, but it can also be used for wonder. So it is not so minor after all. So in general is where there is an integral part of the game, an integral rule in the game that allows you to use the card in a way that is different from the printed text. That was my idea. Yeah, I agree. Just using the cards in different ways. It's a difficult thing to pull off well to try and coordinate different mechanisms or different actions using only one component. Yes, and I must say that I tried to do some research and I figure out what, at least to me, is the most important game, the most famous game that does that, I think is Glory to Rome, which is from 2005. And it is the one that people always mention when they talk about these things. And it certainly is the one mechanism in the game. Have you seen it or play it? I have seen it. I feel like it's an elusive chanteuse. <laughs> it's this game. So for people who don't know about the drama, <laughs> the game, I guess, 
will never be reprinted again, or at least in the foreseeable future, be reprinted. Basically, they came out, at least in the US, at first with a very cartoony art, but it's definitely not a, like a family light game. So then they went the opposite way with the now famous black box edition, which is this very fancy box. It looks like the box of a design wallet or a design pen. It's black with this white logo on top. And then it went away. It got caught into copyright. Who has the rights to publish it? It, The game is from 2005. I don't know exactly the timing of the different expansions, but recently it has been unpublished. There was a period where the black box was routinely going for like 200 dollars for a game that is just a card game i'm sure that now the price is probably still the same but it doesn't get traded that much anymore and that's the go-to game so the way it works is you have all of these cards and you can use them as materials you can use them as buildings you can use them for the action that are on top and you can use them to strengthen the different action that you take so i have this red card do i want to build it for what's printed on the card that is a certain building with specific rules. And the game is about building combos of these buildings that get super strong or use it as a material to build other red buildings or use it as the action. And maybe the red action is the attack of the players. The green action is require resources. Or do I want to put it so that when I take the red action, it will be even stronger. It combines this with the I choose you follow mechanic, which is the or oh, I choose building, everyone can build if they have the right card. Oh, like San Juan, right? Exactly, exactly. Or Puerto Rico, which is where San Juan comes from. But actually, this is 2005, and that's what I was getting to. San Juan is from 2004, and definitely has the two ways in which you can use the cards. You can either use them as resources to build, or you can use them for the text and build them. There is also a third way, which is to use them as production goods, but you don't really have a choice there. It simply comes from the deck. But so someone comes the year before Glory to Rome. So I feel that to me, that's the main predecessor of all of these games. There is also the corresponding space stream, one race for the galaxy that does the same. But I do feel that someone is where it originated. It's very simple. You simply have the text or you can discard the card. But it is certainly the starting point of all of that. So do you have a guess as to how much it's going for? There are two different prices. One is for the cartoony version and one is for the black box. So how much do you think the black box is going for? Are we talking eBay or BGG? eBay. So I will go 88 for the cartoony and 220 for the black box. So 120 for the cartoon. That was still off by 50%, okay. And 375, and there's only one copy of the black box. Sure. As I said, I'm not surprised. At the same time, I don't know how often it is bought and sold today. There was a time where I knew people were buying it for 200 and something dollars. I mean, not regularly, you don't buy the same game regularly, but there was a group of people who were considering it, buying it. I like the game. I don't feel like I need to own it, even probably if it were at the regular price. Obviously, now it is a grail thing, so I gladly leave it to the people who really, really like it. But it's. I think the, the fact that it's not in print has helped creating this atmosphere or, oh, it's one of the greatest games of all times, which I don't think it particularly is. It's good. It's certainly the best by Karl Chodik. For a while, we owned Ukronia. It's a, basically a dumbed-down version, and it shows. It was The theme <laughs> was great. It was Romans and Dinosaurs, but the game is not as good. Romans and Dinosaurs? Yes. You can't just tease with that. You have to explain how it's Romans and dinosaurs. Well, it's called Uchronia. And so it's a timeline where dinosaurs stayed around and the Romans conquered the world and therefore domesticated dinosaurs. Wow. As one does. That sounds fun. It's not fun, though? No, no, it is. The art is good. Basically, they take the same mechanism but they dissociate one of the things. So I mentioned how all of these things are on the cards or are doable with the cards. But in Uchronia, the buildings, the one with the special abilities, that's the one thing that is not on the card. And there is basically a row where everyone can access, which on one hand is a little more fair 
because if you think that that card is particularly strong, you didn't draw it. It was out there. You could have built it if you have beaten me to it. But at the same time, it takes away from the elegance of this deck is all there is. And you just draw from this and you use it for everything, which is, I think, what Glory to Rome really shines. And surprisingly, in making it simple, they didn't do as much of a good job with the rule structure, the turn structure, and the player board, so that it was actually harder to wrap your head around it rather than on Glory to Rome. But it had cute pictures of like a dinosaur in a Roman Coliseum and <laughs> a dinosaur near the bath. That sounds awesome. The art sounds awesome. You haven't sold me on the game yet. <laughs> it's not a bad game, but I must say much like Glory to Rome, I don't feel the need to play it. I think Glory to Rome has been important because again, despite not being the first, it certainly popularized this theme. And I'm sure that some of the games that we're going to talk about in a, in a minute came out of the popularity of Glory to Rome, or not necessarily of the popularity, I don't want to be mean, by someone playing it and appreciating the design and deciding that they wanted to use that in their game. So, getting back to the theme yes, of so, multi-use cards. Yeah, do you like that kind of style where the cards do different things? I do. I think it's a mechanism. Is it a mechanism? Or would it be more of like a trait? As I said, I believe in definitions only as far as they help us understand things. So I think it's both, right? It's a characteristic of the game, but it's definitely something that you do. So insofar as a mechanic or a mechanism, mechanism is the right one, but you always find it listed as mechanic on BGG. I think it's both. I don't see it under mechanisms, if you want to go by that, under BGG, but it's definitely something that works that way, right? So I really do like them. I feel like it's one of the things that I have the least of as I was looking around trying to find games to talk about. I don't have very many, but the games that I do have, I really enjoy. So I would be interested to see if in the future I could try out more games like that and see if they're good. Yes, and I feel like it does move away a little bit from being the main mechanism of the game. Like some of the games that I was talking about and that we will be talking about in a minute add okay this is what you do it's a card game where you can use the cards in different ways now it has spread it has gone to the point where it's in different games and it's not necessarily the one thing you're doing for example yesterday night i played summoner wars which is a two-player battle game and when i was looking on bgg on geek list about games that use multi-purpose card so summoner wars for a moment was well, that's definitely not what you're doing. And then I thought that actually it is true. At the end of each round, someone was as this tactical board where you place your units, which are card, and then you move them around and attack. But the way you pay for those cards is with cards from your magic pile. And cards go into your magic pile either by killing other players' units, so you get the resources that way, but you can also discard from your hand into your magic pile. So each card, again, regardless of what's written on the card, you can decide to discard it to the magic pile, renouncing the card, but using it for resources. But when you play that, you don't feel like that's the main mechanism. That's a very important, but conceptually wise, minor thing is, do you want the card? But that's that kind of decision, which is why I like these kind of games. But for example, when you describe Summoner Wars in a couple of sentences, you might not even mention it because, of course, it's the tactics and the positioning and each unit has a different attack that jumps to the eye. A game that I have on my list of things would be Oh My Goods. Oh My Goods is a card game where you're using one deck for all these different aspects of the game. So you have hands of cards, and there are different buildings in your hand. They also can be used for their resources, which are found on the card, as like a one-time use. They also can be used during production. On the back side of the cards, they have little barrels, and each barrel represents one of that good on whatever building they're on, the respective building. And then they also are part of the like push your luck, I guess, kind of element, where you're drawing cards until a full sun comes out, 
and then wagering whether or not you think you can build based on what resources came out during that initial flop of cards. And then you get another undetermined amount of cards until two more halves of a sun appear. And then based on the resources that appeared dictates, you know, whether or not you can produce what you are trying to produce. So I really like that game. It's probably one of my favorite card games just because it's pretty fast. It doesn't have a lot of table presence. You can play it on a smaller area and I have not yet found a way to explain it well. Mm-hmm. to other people because it's a little weird for some people to wrap their head around this card is a card but it's also if it's face down here then it's a good it's also just a lot of different ways to use these cards that may not be intuitive for people who are newer to games or have not had much experience with multi-use cards yeah and in general i think that compounds with the fact that the designer alexander fister who I like, not as much as some other do, but it's a designer that I like. And these games, regardless of that, tend to be particularly rich. I think that's his strength in how many options you have. And so that compounded with the fact that the options come from the same cards rather than, say, like in Maracaibo, where you have a board or a Great Western Trail, where you can choose the different stops other games of his that builds up. So the fact that, oh my goodness, looks like a very small, simple game, but then actually I can see how that could be difficult to explain. Yeah, I really like it though. What else did you want to talk about for games that have multi-use cards? Before getting into my top three, one mention, again, something that jumped to me when I was scouting this is Battlestar Galactica, which again, when I describe the game to people, I probably never mentioned that. But that's a lot of the tension, which is what's good about this mechanism is, oh, can I use this card now or should I keep it to use it in this other way? Is that the cooperative moment where you, in Battlestar Galactica, you are resolving crises, which gameplay-wise mean you have a target number to reach with cards of a certain color of certain colors and you secretly contribute to the pool and then you shuffle them up you reveal them cards that do match the color count positively the other count negatively and you see if you reach your target the genius part of this design uh, on this regard is that the strongest the number on the card usually the stronger the action is if you use it elsewhere it, almost all cards have an action that you can use on your turn rather than in this cooperative moment and so is oh i have this card that is can be so strong in the right moment but it's a six so should i put this six in or keep it for this very very strong ability or i can simply put a two which obviously contributes less to this getting to the target number thing but is also a, a not a strong card although there are exceptions because for example one of the crucial cards in the game uh, is a one or a two but in general that idea of can i use this card now or should i wait until i use the action elsewhere and vice versa can i use this action or will i need it at the end of this very turn for its number and that's again something that adds to the many ways in which that game stands Wait, so that didn't make your top three? Um, Not in that sense. I'm trying to think of a top three games where I like that mechanism. Again, when I play Battlestar Galactica, I am more focused on other things, especially in the base game. The variety of cards is so limited that can use it and hope to draw it again. Expansions make that a little juicier. But yeah, I don't think it is when I think of if you like games that have multi-use cards, you should play acts there are many reasons for which you should play Battlestar Galactica but that's not necessarily one of those so I already discussed my number three which was oh my goods what's your number three I think it is San Juan but since I already talked about that I will cheat and put my honorable mention which is Traders of Osaka, which was previously Traders of Carthage, which is the version that I have which is a not very well-known game by Susumu Kawasaki which was uh, basically a Japanese designer before the American community became attentive to Japanese board game designs. And it's a game where it's tricky to explain, as you said, with many of these card games, it's the case. But basically there is a display of cards that you can either buy them or pick them up. They have a gold value and to be able to buy them, you have to buy all of them. 
So if there is a two, a three, a five, and a four, you need 14 coins in your hand. So you can decide to draw the five so that now you have more money, but all of a sudden the total value of the market is lower, so someone else might be able to buy it. So the cards have already this. If you buy them, they don't go into your hand, they go into your display as goods if you instead you pick them in your hand now they cannot be goods they are only and forever money and on top of that there is a certain mechanism on the board where commonly shared boats basically tracks if they move into the danger zone they get pushed back and instead of cashing out you have to lose all of your goods of that color unless you can protect them and the way you protect them is by discarding cards from your hand so when you get cards in your hand you're doing it either to buy or to protect while when you buy them they become goods and on top of that which is not connected to this but just to mention the game for those who might be interested you have a very painful to use reserve token that when you put it other people cannot interact with that card, but the card is still there for you. So sometimes you don't want it anymore, so you have to move it around. It's interesting. It's a game that plays in 30 minutes. It's very portable, so we have played it all over the place. Again, Traders of Osaka is the new version. Traders of Carthage is the old version. They are exactly the same game, just different versions. I'm a little disappointed. I can't believe we have not played this game. It sounds like a game that I would really enjoy. Well, it's because it's in the small game shelf. And so whenever you, Nathan, I mean, not a generic you, you look at that shelf, you stop at the West Kingdom and Raiders of the North Sea that are on the top shelf of that little chef mm, thing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, which is understandable, don't get me wrong, but it is, it is hidden among the um, majesty and the Lasco and all of that. And the box is not particularly appealing because it's old and beaten up because we carried it around so much. So my number two was going to be San Juan. Mm -hmm. We discussed it already. Did you want to say anything else about it? Well, how do you feel that, again, that the mechanism of the cards, which I think is very present, interacts with the action selection? I almost feel that sometimes that's frustrating because when I have to choose whether to build or not, which is the main drive of the game in San Juan, you're building buildings and the timer of the game is the buildings, how many people have built, the main scoring opportunities are from buildings. So sometimes I have to pick the action and I know that I will be opening up to everyone. And sure, I can see how many cards you have in hand, but since there's not a row of buildings, I have to basically guess. He has three cards. He probably cannot build something particularly good, so it's probably a good moment to build. And then if instead I do have something, you are now not only wasting your action, but helping me. I do like the game a lot, although when I think it in terms of mechanism, I probably shouldn't. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. I I feel like it's one of those cases where the sum of its very simple parts is bigger than the factors. Because the the mechanism itself, as I said, it is multipurpose, but is you either use it as a discard or you place it in front of you. It's not like there are three or four options. And the choose you follow is distilled down to the bone and yet it's very pleasant it's quick it scales well it has different strategies i really really like it i do too i agree with you that the mechanisms in and of themselves are not very challenging but when you put them all together it makes it a game that requires smart choices and being cognizant of what other players are doing or if you take a particular action are you really going to benefit the most of this or are you going to wait and hope that someone else does this for you so my number two is a game that you don't like but that i think encapsulates (laughs) encapsulates this perfectly which is Imperial Settlers. Oh, no. In Imperial Settlers, <laughs> each player is a different nation, a different civilization, and you have these cards that you can build by paying resources, and then you can either discard them to build advanced buildings, but that's not the part that I'm thinking of because that would be still quite basic. But the advanced buildings, which are the ones that are specific to your nation that are often the strongest, you can build them as deals, which means you renounce the tax forever and you look at the little icon at the bottom and that tells you what your income will be from that card. And that's a very difficult 
attention because usually the advanced cards do not provide you with resources, but that can speed up your game at the beginning of the game, but you are renouncing that card and those scoring opportunities and the special cool action that if you just wait long enough to build it could enable you to do that. These are called steals. Uh, there are some nations that are interact particularly well with that. And I really like it. You have this deck of card and also you can discard cards from your hand by paying one sword to get there is another little box that where each card has its own raise reward and finally you can raise other people's cards but that's a different aspect so i really think that it comes together quite well the designer is a very popular designer ignashi trevicek i don't like most of his designs but this line of imperial settlers and the 51st state I really, really like I have tried Empires of the North. I find it good, but not particularly new. It's a refinement of Imperial Settlers, and I really, really like the system. It's been a very long time since I've played that game, so I would be willing to give it another chance. I mean, I like it, but it's fine. It even plays solo. I mean, I will not be forcing it on you if you want. It's, uh, I'm certainly glad to play it with you, and I think you would probably like it it's a game that can go poorly as an experience i mean not just as a result especially if in the early rounds when you don't know the game you get cards that are not particularly easy to combine and then you do very little in the first round and since it's an exponential game a slow start can mean a painful game so there is that okay so moving on i I have a sneaky suspicion that our first choice could be the same, but I won't say anything. So I will comment on yours and then pretend that mine is not the same, even if it ended up being. So what's your number one? <laughs> My number one is Bruges. Bruges is a Steffenfeld game. He has a very special place in my heart because I do enjoy games where you feel like you don't have enough actions to do everything that you possibly want to do. But the reason why I consider this my number one use of multi-use cards is because each card can be used in so many different ways and you want to use them in multiple ways and realize Unfortunately, you can only use them in one of the possible ways. So the different things you can do with cards are you can make them into a house. You can put a person into your house. You can remove threat markers. You can... What am I forgetting? You can get gold. Oh, yeah, money. You can get money yeah. based on what the dice show for that color. And you can build a canal. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And build a canal. See, there's so many things. So I really enjoy that game. I feel like it is smart and very tight as far as the amount of actions that you need because you have a very set amount of actions and hand size that you can get each turn unless you have special powers that you get throughout the game by building other people. But I think that this game... In particular, for me, it uses multi-use cards in the smartest way that I've found so far in my gaming endeavors. What about you? Well, it's interesting because I completely agree. And actually, yes, Bruges is my number one as well. It's my favorite. It's maybe not my favorite Feld, although it's up there. But it's definitely my favorite that uses cards in that way. And of course, this is the problem with definitions, right? That if I went by my strict definition of what I was trying to say at the beginning of the episode of cards that can be used in a way that is different from what is printed on the front, Bruges would not qualify because one of the great things about Stefan Feld games is that they're very clear in their iconography and graphics and playability. And indeed, on front of each card, there are all of these ways in which you can use the card. But it's clear that there is a difference between using the card for the text, which is the largest part of the card, the front of the card makes a difference, while everything else is just a repetition of what the color of the card, which is the back of the card, determines. I really like it. I like choosing, as you say, not so much how I want to use every single card, but I have five cards. I know that I need to use a couple to get money, one to make a house, so I can probably just play one of these five. And it could be any of those five, but I mean, I can play only one of those for the special effect, for the special individual in the city of Bruges that will come work for me. I find interesting that this reduces greatly that problem that I have in games where you all draw from the same deck. 
It's normally something that I don't like, but the fact that each card can be used in multiple ways means I'm never stuck with a card that is completely useless to me. And there are so many cards that are useful that I don't have that effect that for me comes in Wingspan or I suspect in Terraforming Mars, where since we are all drawing from the same deck, I can get different things at different times. There are certain cards that I do prefer, but first there is a different cost. So you also need cards that match up with the randomly generated value of the different colors every turn of the game. And I really think that, as you were saying, the fact that you have this hand, you usually have five cards of which you play four. And these cards can be used for all that you said. Some of those feel like a waste. Like when you, I hate having to get little workers of a color, but you need those to build the houses to play people in and you need them to activate other cards. That was another way to use them and we didn't even mention that. Yeah, I don't know how much sense it makes to people who haven't played the game, but in general, you have these very little workers that are basically resources. And as you were saying, there is a mitigation of risk. There is a growing risk of losing something, and you can use cards to simply remove that risk, but could be completely useless. Well, it gives you a point. And this was one of the first games that I remember you tracking down, right? Yes, one of the first out-of-print games to make its way into my collection. Yeah, and there is also a big expansion for it. I haven't tried it personally, but it's also obviously out of print and quite expensive. But when Anna, who adores this game, it's her favorite felt game, I'm quite sure, which I don't understand in a world with Macau and Aquasphere, but fine, no, I, I really like Bruges. <laughs> but when she tried it, she she wasn't impressed. She said that that purity of, sure, I can be a little lucky or unlucky with the cards, but what comes out I can manage because I see five and I use some of them in a way or another is diluted by other options like every time you build canals you get an extra thing and there are extra discounts that are random every turn so that the variability multiplies to the point that you are not in control of your hand anymore but you are beholden to the board status that changes not through players actions but through random elements while normally the only thing that changes randomly is how much the cards are worth in terms of money and how much you have to pay for the reputation track, which is another way to score points. Well, the other thing is that you're drawing from two decks. So there are two decks available to you. And the main thing that you're drawing for isn't what's on the back of the card, the person, the text of that. The main thing is the color of the building, which limits a lot of those actions that we had described. Yeah. Do you feel you are at the place where I heard people saying, oh, sure, it's random, but if you know the game, you you can know that now you probably need to draw a, a yellow card to look for a certain effect. I'm definitely not at that point. Like, I know that the brown cards tend to be a little more negative towards other players, but beyond that, I have no idea if, oh, now I need something to build canals, so I should go look for that specific blue 12 dude or something. Do you ever think in those terms when you play Bruges? No, no. (laughs) I didn't even know that that was possible. I mean, there's so many cards and you never go through them all, especially in a two-player game. You cut down the deck to two-fifths of what you play with. I don't play enough with the full amount of people to know and have seen all those cards enough times to get the repetition down. That's also my point. And also, the the cards that are unique are the ones that are 12s, because everything else I feel it repeats, again, with the exception of the brown or some of the purple. But in general, there is one card of level 3 that gives you 3 coins and the blue worker, and another one card of cost 3 that gives you 3 coins and a red worker. So those are equivalent, right? And they are all of the princesses and the noble women who let you draw another card and use it. There are some that are unique, but they're usually the 12 cost ones. So what are you going to do? Keep all of these resources in stock and just hope to draw the right card at some point, even assuming you had perfect knowledge of the deck. I feel, and I feel this is a positive of the game, that that's not an option, that what you have control on is your mitigation of resources. If you go with one card of each color, it means you can mitigate 
the randomness, but at the same time, you have certain resources and you want to match, for example, red cards with your red workers in order to be able to build houses, or you want more yellow workers to be able to activate the citizens that already work for you. So yeah, I really like Bruges. As I said, it was also my number one pick, and I suspected going in that it would have been both of ours uh, number one because it takes this mechanism that I do like and that was present in other games and builds on top of it because that's not all there is in Bruges there is competition for having a majority of something there are combination of cards that score in a certain way and this constant threat of the accumulating threat tokens that can ruin one aspect of your game so I really think that as often is the case with uh, Stefan Fell, it takes one mechanism and it builds on it. Sometimes to great success like this, some of the times in ways that I, I personally don't like, like I didn't like Amerigo at all. I am not a great fan of Trajan, but indeed it does take a mechanism and build upon it. With uh, Trajan is Mancala, with Amerigo is basically Tetris and the Cube Tower. And here is indeed multi-purpose cards. And I think he does a wonderful job. The game is also very beautiful. I think is Michael Manzel, but I'm not sure. But yeah, great game. So I think that brings us to the end of the episode. Yeah, thank you for being with us. Thank you for listening until now. And see you next time. I'm Jackie. And I'm Nathan. Bye-bye. Bye.